0: Tonight we're going to go uh, back to uh, the parables of Jesus. Uh, we, I, I did a whole series on these a couple of years ago, and so um, as we kind of are in between some series here, I, I wanted to go back tonight and revisit um, another parable. That's the great thing about doing a series like that and not covering every single parable. I could just go back every once in a while and grab another one um, that, that the Lord can use Uh, in our hearts and lives. So I invite you tonight to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And we're going to be in the first uh, eight verses tonight. And we're going to look at the parable Jesus tells here uh, that teaches us this this principle of of praying with persistence. Now just to kind of remind you um, of what a parable is, I gave you this definition um, when we talked about this in our series, but a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning given to reveal or conceal God and reveal the heart of man it 's something that, that you and i it 's a story we can connect with, we can understand, but it 's illustrating a deeper truth, and then at its, at its heart and at its core it 's revealing our hearts. Uh, the hearts of the people who are listening to the parable, to the one who is is seeking God, reveals the things of God to him with the the help of the Holy Spirit, but to those, especially Jesus dealt with many in his day, as you've seen in the, the study of the book of John, who really don't want anything to do with him. Which, by the way, it's very interesting. You know, I say that, I reference that in the book of John, you see that. The book of John actually never records a parable, but you see the attitude that surrounded the people who came to Jesus. They're illustrated just as well as any of the other Gospels. And so when Jesus would tell these things, many of them walked away uh, confused or uh, not getting anything out of them because they truly didn't really want anything to do with God and Jesus. They were there um, for whatever benefits they thought they could get or to antagonize, as we've seen time and again as well. But in Luke chapter 18, we see verses 1 through 8 It says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he, find, will he really find faith on the earth? If you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably heard admonitions to, scriptures regarding, and even whole sermons on this idea of prayer, right? It's not just an idea, it's a vital Christian discipline that all disciples should be engaging in. We should be those who are given to prayer. Yet, could we easily say that we as human beings are prone towards discouragement in our prayer lives, one of the things that discourages us is what, when we would experience what, I, what, we, what you and I would call a delay in our prayer, you know, or the answers of our prayers from God. We, uh, in our instant results-loving minds, we long to see God answer our requests immediately. And when we pray for something day in and day out, week in and week out, sometimes year in and year out, and, and, and we, we don't see God answer that prayer. Sometimes we grow frustrated. Uh, we grow angry, discouraged. And we per, perhaps even begin to wonder things like, well, what's the point of this? Why am I praying for this? It probably never happened anyway. Jesus knows this is our struggle in our lives. He knows that we will fight against our flesh and our doubts and our prayer lives. And so he once again in this parable gives true heavenly instruction about the kingdom of God in a relatable down-to-earth story in this parable that's before us in Luke 18, 1 through 8. And here he shows us what our king is like and encourages us to approach God with our needs even time and again when we do not see the immediate answer to those things. And what you see in this parable is because God is my loving heavenly father who longs to hear from his children, I can trust in him to answer my prayers. That's that's the exact point that, that Jesus is trying to communicate here. And again, you know, it should be noted here, we're talking about living in the kingdom of God. We're talking about those uh, who, who know him as Savior, Jesus Christ, have a relationship with him. Those uh, are the ones who belong to God as his children. Those are the ones whom God wants and longs to hear from and, and, and answers the request. It doesn't mean God doesn't do things for people who don't know him. I mean, we look around the world today everywhere and we see God pouring out blessings of grace on people who don't even know him or acknowledge him because that's who he is. He's a gracious God. Now, it doesn't mean they won't ever answer for their sin either. But we see we can have confidence that God does not only hear our requests, but in his time, he answers them with the answer that is best for us. So we're just going to look briefly tonight at these things. We're really just going to look at it in, in, in three different sections here. And the first thing that we want to look at is the purpose for why Jesus taught these things. And before we do that, I want to kind of give you some context of where we are in the book of Luke. Jesus has been teaching his disciples at the end of Luke chapter 17, that last section that Jesus is um, talking to his disciples about at the end of Luke 17. He's talking to them about the coming Kingdom of God. He's telling them about the imminency of the kingdom of God that they must always be ready for. Jesus came the first time to redeem sinners, to be sacrificed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he's coming a second time to reign as the King of Kings. That's what he's talking to his disciples about at the end of Luke 17. And around that time of his return, there will be time of tribulation, there will be battles in the end times, but that time has not yet come. And in fact, when Jesus speaks to his disciples, there wasn't even the, what we may call the interim term of the church age had not even begun yet because Jesus hadn't ascended to the Father. He was preparing them, though, for the things that were to come. Now, make no mistake The kingdom of God, or as referred to in in some of the, the, the Gospels here by the same term, the kingdom of heaven is a very real thing, right? Now, there is no physical kingdom. God does not sit on the throne here and rule a physical kingdom. The physical manifestation of the kingdom of God on this earth at this time is the church. That's where we see God's kingdom manifested in his people. It's a spiritual kingdom. But one day, there is coming a physical kingdom, That God will set up. And in this intermediary period between. Jesus' ascension to heaven and his return to rule again, Jesus gives us instructions on how to live and what to do. And specifically, he encourages his disciples in this area of prayer. So we see that what he is doing here, according to verse 1, is he's giving encouragement to those who belong to him. We are told from the very beginning, the whole purpose of this parable, it is to encourage us to pray always, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, the word always does not mean that all you ever do is pray. It's not a, well, you just keep praying and you don't stop praying. You don't have time for anything else in life. You just pray all the time. But what it does mean is that we pray regularly, keeping up a habit of prayer, and really what we may even call living in a prayerful state of mind. Could we admit tonight together that we too often relegate prayer to certain times in our lives. We pray at our devotional time with God. We pray at meals. We pray at church. Maybe other appropriate times. But Jesus expects his disciples to pray much more than this. He expects a disciple of his to not be very far away from the throne of grace, ever ready to enter his presence. He doesn't call us to just, well, when it's the right time, you should sit down and pray. But to be always in this mindset of praying. Our thoughts should never be far from the presence of God. Because in Christ, we may enter that throne room at any time. So no matter what is going on, we can and should pray. We can bring our specific requests before God day and night, in good times and bad times whether kneeling in our homes or driving down the road. Now, if you're going to pray driving down the road, you might want to think about whether or not you're going to close your eyes, okay? I had a, when I was growing up in our church in Atlanta, we had a missionary we supported, and he was on the island of Yap in Micronesia, which is um, it's out in the Pacific Ocean. And we, we, people would go from time to time to visit them on the field, and one guy came back telling a story about how it was amazing that the missionary, uh, he always spent time praying to God. He was never far away from praying to God, except it got a little nerve-wracking. When One day they were driving down the road, and he was praying to God, and he looked over, and he had his eyes closed while he's praying to God going down the road. Okay, and He said it was a miracle they didn't get in a car accident. But that type of We ought to always pray and not lose heart, no matter what is going on. That's what Jesus is trying to encourage us to towards here, especially when we're dealing with certain things in our lives. If our prayers are not answered in the way we think they should be or in the timing in which we think things should happen, we are tempted to grow discouraged in our prayers. We look around and we see the darkness of this world We are sometimes frustrated and dejected. When we look within at the struggles we have with our sin, we feel unworthy sometimes of our God. But Jesus shares this parable in order to encourage us to pray. He says we are not to grow weary or faint in our prayer lives. Instead, we are to be motivated to continue on in these prayers. Let us be emboldened to come before our God. And in this parable, Jesus illustrates by great contrast why it is we can pray in this way. So in verses 2 through 5, you find the parable, you find the story, you find the vehicle for this whole purpose. The purpose is that men should always pray and not lose heart. Now here's the vehicle, here's the story for that. And the first person you meet in verse 2 is what we may call the unjust judge. It says there was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge Who did not fear God nor regard man. So what you meet who you meet here is a man who is, quite frankly, the opposite of what he should be. Here is a judge with no proper view of God or his fellow man. He is what we would call an unjust judge. That that in and of itself The definition of that is, okay, he's not doing what he's supposed to do, right? Because judges are supposed to uphold justice. He has been appointed to do an important task, yet he's not carrying it out in the right way. And and frankly, in Jesus' day, this was not uncommon, I mean, if you know, if you've you've kept up with some of the things we've talked about in our series in the book of John, as we talked about the Sanhedrin and different things, we know that like the ruling council of Israel, the the great Sanhedrin, itself was full of corruption and people who uh, wanted to be part of it, and, and they found ways to get in through political pool or financial means or whatever. And so the legal system of Israel was... As it was itself full of those who looked after their own interest instead of others, the basis of all true justice comes from the law of God. He is the one who defines what is right and what is wrong. Now we live in a country where we are free to express our opinions on a lot of things. And we look at the laws of our country and, we, and the things that have changed over the years, we, we will have these discussions. Well, that's a good law and that's a bad law. But our sense of what is a good law and a bad law should not come from how it makes me feel or does that law fit my political views, but does that law line up with, the Bible, with what the Bible says? That's what makes something a good law or a bad law. Does it line up with Scripture or does it go against Scripture? It's not, does it advance my agenda or the agenda of my party? And this man of Jesus' story is not in a right relationship with God. I mean, it tells us very clearly he has no reverence for God or the things of God. Furthermore, the judge in this story also has no regard for others in doing what is right for them. Is it possible to find someone who is a good judge who, who doesn't have, want to have anything to do with God? I would argue, yeah, you probably could find someone you and I might call a good judge. And you say, well, what would be their basis? Well, at least they want to help other people, right? And so they're going to try to do right for other people. Well, this guy wants nothing to do with God, and he wants nothing to do with helping other people. So he has no basis for doing what is right, right? Or even semi-right. Because to him, it's all about how he can benefit himself. His brand of justice is very different. He's what we would call a corrupt judge. It would not be far-fetched to say that one like this would be most likely to respond to bribery as many in Jesus' day, again, were known to do. He became a judge not because he wanted to do right and help others. He became a judge because he saw an opportunity to gain riches and status. And that's a very sad and horrible scene. And as we we meet him, now in verse 3, we meet the second character in our story. meet this persistent widow. Now, there was a certain widow in that city. And she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. So in that city where the judge held court, there lived this widow And she, because of her status in society, was at a severe disadvantage. Number one, because of her status as a widow, she would be in dire straits financially. She would be helpless, really, in in many senses. Because she couldn't work. That was not something that went on in that day. And she had no one to take care of her. So she was, you know, her results or she was reduced to begging or doing these things. And of course, in the law of God, there are allowances made for these things. But by the way, God God very clearly in his law talks about how he views widows and orphans and how someone like this judge should have been helping her. Secondly, because of her status as a woman in that day, she would have had a difficult time in her society. Realistically, She would not have gone to court to appeal to the judge on her own. Instead, a man that was connected with her would have done so. But it seems like here in Jesus' story, she has no male family members or neighbors that are alive or willing to plead her case. And so she has to go at it alone. And what she represents is she represents the helpless and the needy, the poor and the powerless, and she has a real need. I mean, she's been wronged in her life when she talks about getting justice from her adversary. We don't know what that was. That's not the point of the parable. The point is she had something that was wrong, and she needed it to be made right by this judge. And so she does what she should she should do. She goes to find help from the mediator of justice in her area. And she doesn't go just once. If you go back and and look at the the original text here, uh, it says here in in the New King James, which we're reading tonight, that she came to him saying, really a better translation of that phrase from the Greek is uh, that it was a woman who kept coming to him. That's the idea behind those words. It wasn't she came once. It was she came day after day after day after day after day. I mean, this was a persistent process that she was doing. Perhaps she was not always admitted to the presence of the judge, but had to settle to make her case outside the tent or the building. Basically, you get this idea. Here's this woman. She's making herself a nuisance every day because she wants to be heard. She wants justice to be done. She was persistent in her pleas for mercy. And now we see in verse 4 and verse 5, repetitions victory that comes out of this. And he would not for a while, but afterward said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now it doesn't surprise any of us reading what we read a minute ago and thinking about those things, that in verse 4 we read that he wants nothing to do to help her for a while. Because let's just say it this way. To him, this woman is a nobody. She can't benefit him. She can't pay him. She can't owe him anything. I mean, what is she going to owe him, right? So he does nothing with her request. And I want us to note something, okay? Okay. This woman was not looking for special treatment. She's looking for justice, which she was owed, according to the law of God. Right? This is not an unusual request. Something is wrong. Your job is to address the situation. I'm coming to you to look for help, and she's not getting it. You would hope the judge would at least act in mercy on her behalf, seeing her situation. I mean, that's the least she should have expected. But it was not to be, at least not immediately. But after after a while, we see this judge has a change of mind. And I'll make it very clear, he has a change of mind, not a change of heart. He states the truth about himself that has not changed. What does he say about himself? He says, I do not fear God, though I do not fear God, nor regard man. That's the truth he recognizes about himself. Now, by the way, acknowledging what you are isn't the same as making strides to make it right. Sometimes, in an effort to cover up the wrongs we've done in our lives, we'll say it to somebody. Well, yeah, I know I'm that way. And are we going to do anything about that? And he's not. He's certainly not. He's out here just saying, yep, that's, I, that's how way I am. Okay? God wants us to do much more in our lives than just talk about what the wrong we've done. He wants us to repent, confess, and repent, and turn to him. But that's beside the point of this parable a little bit here. Instead, he recognized the character flaws of his own life and didn't want to address them. He once again serves himself, even what he's doing. What's going on here is he's tired of dealing with this woman on a continual basis. He is exhausted by her repeated requests for him to act on her behalf. So much so that there's a very picturesque word choice here. We have this statement that he was, le- uh, by her um, lest by her continual coming she weary me. It could also be translated this way, so she will not beat me down, or lest by her coming she will wear me out. And that word here, coming by, by her continual coming, she weary me, that word weary, That really is a boxing term from the Greek. Paul uses it in some of his writings. And it speaks of being struck under the eye. The judge is what he's saying is, I'm being worn out by these continual blows that I'm taking from this woman every day. And he feels the only way to relieve himself of this painful nuisance is to help her. So I want you to see again, he's serving himself here. He wants to go back to his life and his way of doing things and his own brand of justice. And the only way that I can get back and enjoy that is to help this woman with whatever it is she needs. And so the implication here in the end of the parable is that's what he does. He avenges her. He gives her justice so that she will leave him alone. And with that, the parable ends. And so now Jesus makes the connection between this story in our lives, encouraging us in our prayer lives. so in verses 6 through 8, here's the very powerful contrast that Jesus makes. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So we see in verses 6 to the first part of verse 8, God's response to his children. Jesus is going to use this picture to show us something about God. And if you look at that parable and everything we just talked about, and you go, that doesn't sound like God at all. You're right. Okay. What Jesus is doing here is he's not teaching you a parable. He's not teaching you and me a parable for comparison. Okay. That's that's what we Tend to think of a lot of times the kingdom of heaven is like this, it's like that, God is like this. This is complete opposite. This is a a parable of contrast. God is not like this, but instead he is this. We will also see that you and I are also not like the widow in this parable. So Jesus tells his disciples here consider what the judge said. He had no inkling to do what was right and good, yet eventually he did answer her request, even though it was in an effort to serve himself. And so everything the judge is, God is not. God hears the prayers of his children. He listens to them. The elect Jesus talks about here are those who belong to him in salvation. And those people cry out to him. They come before God in prayer, seeking his answers to those prayers. And what will be the outcome? Jesus says that God will answer their prayers. He will avenge them. And that justice, those answers, will come quickly from the Lord. I want you to remember for a second here the end times setting of the last chapter that I referenced you to at the beginning, okay? One day, God's justice will be executed over all sin in the earth. And it will be done swiftly with no return. It's going to happen. So, Jesus says, let us continue to bring our requests before the Lord, confidently trusting in him. But that still begs the question in our minds, well, what about those times of seeming delay from God that we talked about earlier? How many of us have ever prayed to God asking him something over and over and over again and received no answer in return? In our lives, we see that as inactivity, right? If you send somebody a message over and over and over again asking about something, you don't get anything back. you think, well, they're just not listening, right? They're just not doing anything about it. We see that as God ignoring us. But in reality, God's delays are delays of preparation. I want you to think about this for a second. Take a prayer for the return of Jesus, for example. Many, if not most, or all of us in this room have perhaps prayed for Christ's return. We have prayed things like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? And we mean it. We want Jesus to return because we want, we want him to rule and to reign. We want to spend eternity with him. And, and maybe we look around at the sin and the darkness of our world, and we pray that prayer, and then we get frustrated, right? Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, think about it this way. If God's saving work isn't finished... And there are still those that he knows he is gathering into his kingdom as the sovereign God. How can we be so selfish as to think that God is doing wrong by not bringing the end here and now? See, that delay is not a delay of God ignoring us. It's a delay of preparation. God still has people to gather to himself. And so, yes, we want him to come. And yes, we understand. But yet, there are still people that may need to know him. He knows the best answers to our prayer and he also knows the best timing for the answers of those prayers. In the meantime then, what he wants us to do is to continue to pray to him. This is not a, well it's pointless, don't pray anyway, okay? This is a, we need to learn to depend on him daily in our lives and cry out to him and come to him. He invites us and commands us And expects us to come before him. And that's what he says in the second part of verse 8 here. God's expectation of his children. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So one day Jesus will return. And when he does, the question is, will he find his disciples praying in faith? Will he find his disciples praying? Consistently, persistently coming before the throne of grace. True prayer is an expression of faith in God. It's committing these things to him and his will and his time. Go back to the illustration I gave you a minute ago. It's not wrong to pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but understanding in our faith that we're not going to get upset if he doesn't come tomorrow, okay? Okay? We leave that up to God and his timing, but we can still continue for the the day of the Lord to come. We still continue to pray for whatever request God has perhaps not answered in our lives yet, but we continue to pray and we continue to pray and we continue to pray. Probably many of us in this room have things we have prayed for for many years, and one day we see God answer it, and then we look back and we say, oh, that's why it all works out that way, or we see the grace of God in answering that in his time. As Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, it's something we see that we are to do continually for we are ever dependent on him. And so, while, while God is not like this judge, he wants us to come before him. He wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to come before his throne. And he longs, longs to answer the requests of his children You and I then must understand we are not like the widow in this story. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those who have been redeemed from sin and have a relationship with God through Jesus. We are not standing outside the court trying to become a nuisance hoping to be hurt, right? We are not coming each day hoping to wear down an unjust judge. Instead, we are children of our Heavenly Father who delights to hear from us and give us good gifts. And we, uh, we have, unlike the widow who dealt with one who was supposed to uphold the law, we come boldly before the throne of grace of our King and our Father. There's a big difference. It's an encouraging thing. So let us... Continue in prayer. A few things as we wrap up this passage to remember. Number one, let us pray. It it sounds simple, but it's a spiritual discipline many of us struggle with. You say, well, how do you know? You should be here on Wednesday prayer meetings. There's not a lot of people who show up to pray. But that's what God tells us to do. To pray individually and to pray corporately with one another. Let us pray. We wonder in our own hearts and lives some of these questions. We say, well, how, how do I pray? Or how long do I pray? Or what do I pray for? Or, Is prayer really worth it? Sometimes we even ask the question, how little prayer can I really get away with in my life? We should Not look for ways to get out of prayer or grow discouraged in prayer. We should look to God for the strength to continue in prayer. So first, very simply, let us pray. Second, let us pray with confidence in God. In Christ, we belong to God. In the word of God, we know our God. We know who he is and what he's done. So this should motivate us to an incredible belief and and trust in him. We can trust that he will act. We can boldly seek his work on our behalf. So we pray with confidence in God, knowing we have a God who acts. Knowing we have a God who listens. Knowing we have a God who answers prayer. There's a big difference between that and, well, hopefully he'll hear me, you know. We can pray with confidence. And then third, let us pray with a believing heart. Do not confuse a delay in an answer from God with cruelty. You and I do not know God's timetable for our lives. We don't always know the next step. In God's will for our lives. And again, that's a funny statement that we use about what's the will of God for your life. Well, the moral will of God for your life is this. Do the next right thing. Right? And that comes from the word of God. You know what God expects you to do. You know God, as, a, as, as one of God's disciples, how God expects you to act. You know the sin in your life that God has convicted you of that you need to make right. You know the things that God has called you to do that you need to do that you aren't doing. You know that you need to spend time with him. You know you need to pray. You know you need to be here or there. Do those things. And then the sovereign will that God has for us individually... You know, we we sit around sometimes and we think, well, I just don't know the will of God for my life. And meanwhile, we're not carrying out the day-to-day things. I'll tell you this right now. You have no chance of knowing the next step in that moment, that major moment of your life, if you haven't spent time with God. No wonder you feel so lost, right? Because you don't know God. We have to know him that we may follow him. We continue to enter his presence, praying always to him the challenge is that when Jesus calls us home, may he call home a praying church. May he call home a people who already have just been spending so much time with him in prayer. When the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find those who spend time with him in prayer? Will he find those who have been have been seeking his return? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but understanding, hey, I'm going to keep making this request as long as I understand what, when you know, it's the timing the, is up to him. And we can pray with confidence that because God is my loving Heavenly Father who longs to hear from his children, I can trust him to answer my prayers. Prayer is of the utmost importance for the christian it is our privilege and blessing to be able to communicate with our sovereign god it's so wonderful to know that he longs to hear from us sometimes we feel discouraged in prayer we we don't know if god hears us and sometimes we feel he may not answer In those times we need to continue to to encourage our hearts with the word of god to drive us back to him God delights in answering our prayers, but he will always do those in his time and in his perfect way. So let us, as Jesus says in another passage, keep knocking, keep asking, keep going before his throne. We have a loving heavenly father, but let us enjoy continuing to come before him, not wearied in it, but asking him to grow our dependence upon him. Learning consistent, persistent dependence on God is a hard lesson sometimes, right? As we've said in here before, even recently, we like to think we're very independent. And we know all the terms and the things we should do, but we need to wait on the Lord and come before him in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege that we enjoy to come before you. Thank you that in Jesus, we have all the confidence we need to come before your throne of grace. And help us, Lord, to learn to wait on your timing and will, to be persistent in whatever it is, whatever the time is you would have us to wait. Help us not to to give up, to grow faint, weary, to lose heart. Help us to persist in your uh, coming before your throne, in your strength, in your goodness. Be with us now as we close our service tonight and we go into our week before us. May we live lives for the glory of the kingdom of God. In your name we pray, amen.